1: Hello and a warm welcome to all of you out there from the entire team here at AusBiz. This is The Call, 10 companies picked by you, two expert guests, one hour, plus a stock of the day. Really pleased to welcome two familiar faces to me and you, no doubt, Edward Veitlin from DP Wealth Advisory and Summerson down from Deep Data Analytics. Guys, I'm really looking forward to this show. Thank you for joining us. Hey, Andrew, have you recovered post-reporting season? Are you still doing a lot of the heavy lifting that comes afterwards when it comes to company analysis?
0: Yeah, you, you found me in the fetal position on the floor just before, <laughs> um, but uh, no, seriously. Um, no, I think we uh, certainly have been doing a, a bit of work more so on that broader thematic piece. You know, what, what's what's the guidance looking like? Not great, because there hasn't been a lot. Uh, what have been some of the drivers, uh, obviously things around that sort of inflation piece, cost piece. One of the companies today has got an interesting thematic that we'll touch on as well. So yeah, a bit of work being done, but thankfully a little bit of normality, but without turning this into into an adenodine We're also moving after 22 years. So can you imagine, you know, when you move house, Um, what that's like, we're about to do that here. So what little hair I've got left is being pulled out. (laughs) I do not envy
1: you. It is a big, big disruption, as we all know. Uh, Look, we had the GDP, Nathan, data out just recently. And what it is showing amongst other things is that we continue to see household consumption growth in the doldrums. We are also seeing domestic price pressures remaining elevated. We've got productivity, well, not looking good. And we've got, you know, raising uh rising wages, you know, tightness in the labor market, all making a very complicated picture for the RBA. But if they're inflation fighting, I mean, do you anticipate that we will need to see rates rise even further, even though we are now in a per capita recession?
2: Yeah, it's a tricky situation. Um I think it's one of those um I guess the good thing we've had in our past is we get ourselves into trouble and then China bails us out. So that kind of made us very lazy uh, and we haven't done a good reform for a long period of time. Um, And that's left us with some structural problems. Uh, I mean, globally, everyone's got structural problems. We've got our own and um, those things are tightening. I mean, the labor market problem is a global problem. Um, Everyone's trying to increase immigration to try and solve it and that creates another problem. So there is issues there. And I think what you said, uh, one flows from the other in the context that per capita we are in recession. Um, so in reality, that means middle to low income is struggling and they're probably already in recession uh, where the wealthier part of the economy uh, is going to hold up a bit better. So on average, you're going to see the bottom half of the population, which generally spends more of their income than the wealthier part, uh, will struggle and they'll spend less. Um, so inflation is a problem. I mean. If you look at the prices, even if you use the monthly um, inflation indicator, from the pre-pandemic level, our prices are 14% higher. That means we need to get that kind of wage growth just to break even, which we don't have. So consumer spending is going to struggle. That'll have implications. Globally, things are slowing down, and we are a commodity-driven country. I'm a bit skeptical on the productivity thing because a lot of our productivity is linked to commodity prices which kind of can be massive at certain period of time and really weak at other periods of time, It's not much we can do about it, it's the global picture. So I think productivity kind of gets thrown around because really we don't control it. Uh, But I think overall, it's a tougher economy, slower growth. Um, I think we'll do better than most other parts of the world, but it's gonna be tough.
1: All right, so um, look, we've got some ETFs coming up, of course, because we have Andrew here and we've got one of Mathen's favorite companies as well. We'll find out if his view has changed at all. Um, we'll be talking about the Global X us 100 ETF, the BetaShares Australian Investment Grade, Corporate ETF, Cred, um, Corporate Credit, uh, Vanguard All World XUS Shares Index ETF. Okay. We'll also talk Silver Lake Resources and Remelius Resources. And that's just in the first half of the program. But let's get to it. Let's get some analysis. And the stock of the day is Aurora, one that we don't talk about a lot, but it is the worst performer on the 200 today after coming online following an extended trading pause. And that is as it made a bid for a high end French bottle maker. And when I read this story yesterday, this is when the detail came to light, my eyes watered at the price tag 2.2 billion, dollars, so Aurora looking to raise $1.35 billion to buy the Saver Glass business. It's buying it from private equity group Carlyle. Now the big questions are earnings, right? It's telling shareholders that the acquisition will be earnings per share accretive in the first full financial year of ownership. And this is another piece that I pulled from the report because, you know, I'm sure the guys will talk about it, but when you've got an Aussie company going overseas, Um, execution is always a concern. Well, Aurora says that the Saver Glass management team will remain in the business. And so we've got the institutional component of the raise, I believe, finished. There's also a retail component, and that is why the company has come back online today. And uh, that's not an intraday, but you can see that really big drop. And that is representing, uh, you know, what we're seeing on market today. Last I checked, it was down by, let me do it again, down by, yeah, 12%, 12.1%. So guys, apparently this French high-end manufacturer makes glass bottles for the likes of Grey Goose. I mean, I don't know how exy your taste of vodka is, but yeah, what do you make of this Aussie packing company Uh, going overseas and making this massive acquisition, Andrew? Uh,
0: Yeah, no, I'm a gin and tonic man myself, so I can't help you on on that side. I'm sorry. But uh, look, it's an interesting one. And I, I have a number of amber lights, if you remember, Nadine. And one of my amber lights is companies that go offshore and buy things, Uh, so that's a bit of a concern. My next amber light is buying anything from private equity. They're not exactly known there for their benevolence or leaving money on the table. So there's sort of two immediate concerns that I have, but putting aside my miserable nature for a moment, um, which is difficult to be, I, I, I don't think this seems such a bad idea. There is certainly some commonality uh, and some crossover relating to the uh, the areas they're getting involved in, because remembering Aurora is sort of packaging and consumer products and that type of thing. So it's not sort of, you know, they're doing something completely out of the box. And certainly management staying, I think, is a positive as well. To the point around the revenue, if I remember correctly, I don't have the slide deck in front of me, but I think the revenue in the business is about 730 million euro. So whatever that is on in Aussie dollars. So it's even though it's an eye-watering amount, there actually is a pretty strong revenue piece to your point around the um, EPS accretive nature. Not really surprising to see the share price come off today as much as it has because the offer I think is two dollars seventy, and it's a uh, an accelerated entitlement offer, non-renounceable, so you can't sell it on the market. One share at two point five five for one for two point five five. So yeah. in other words, not really surprising to sort of see that price weakness. Bottom line, a couple of amber lights, but on balance, I wouldn't be going into the market and buying it today. You'd certainly just want things to settle down. Ideally, you'd want to sort of see maybe three to six months of integration, because again, that's one of the things as to how that all goes relating to all the efficiencies. But at a high level, it's a really well-run business. I don't think they're overpaying, but yeah, big amber lights going offshore and buying from private equity. On balance, it's a hold.
1: And just FYI, they do make bottles for Condesa Gin. I've not tried it myself, but it looks pretty fancy as well. Please oh, spell C-O-N-D-E-S-A, <laughs> I know, I know. I'll get you one for Christmas. Um, well, depending on the price, of course. Uh, Nathan.
0: Into that.
1: <laughs> Nathan, um, yeah, so it's, uh, what do you think of the Aurora business as it stood before this acquisition? Do you think that this is going to be a game changer for the business and therefore, you know, it's an attractive proposition?
2: yeah uh, i love a sector where the game changer happens when they done you know they're in a downgrade cycle the sector is struggling cost of borrowing is going through the roof why not let's just borrow a truckload um yeah that kind of always spooks the market um andrews right on uh, all the points private equity when was the last time you got a good deal probably never um and on top of that um you've got it from memory this split out of amcore so Amcor kept the international business, and this is supposed to be domestic business. So in theory, um, a lot of the shareholders didn't want the global play. Now, because of the lack of growth in the sector, they're going global. So it's kind of, um, I guess, a reverse uh, of the strategy what probably the early shareholders got into. So that's, again, another shock to the system. Um, That's a lot of debt to take in this kind of market. Uh, I I don't think it's such a bad deal. but If you look at all three of the stocks in that sector, Amcor, Pact Group, uh, Aurora, they've all underperformed. These are defensives that are underperforming, um, and this is where you've got to be careful. Um, Defensives are not all defensives. Every stock is a cyclical of some sort. The defensives just have a longer cycle, and so some of these are getting hit on costs, and um, Aurora is no different. I think in this sector, a lot of people were expecting divestments uh, to, uh, I suppose, counter the valuation drop uh, and to boost their cash flow. And so when they start to buy something, it's tough. This is a tough decision for management to make. Short term, it's risky. Um, And as you said, track record of Aussies going overseas is abysmal. Um, And in this kind of sectors where the dynamic is weak at the moment um, and the costs are high, it's pretty tough. So I'd be a bit skeptical i am actually started to look at Amcor a bit because it's come back. It's a global play. Um, you have to think, I guess, against the market. So, But I don't think the, the downside risk is still already priced in. I think there's more cost pressures to come. So I'm not jumping into this sector, and I'm not surprised Aurora is struggling. Um, you can look at PACT. You can look at uh, Amcor, and you see similar trends.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so I don't think the sector is out of the woods yet. I think there's more downside risk. So I'm not jumping in, but I am keeping an eye on Amco at this point.
1: Okay, so are we holding Aurora? Yeah, I think, yeah. I think
2: if you're there, you know the risk and you're thinking longer term. So I don't think you're going to be too spooked. I think you hold okay. through it. All right. Uh, New money, I wouldn't be jumping into the sector.
1: Got it. Watch Amcor. All right. Thanks, guys. Let's get to our first stock that's been nominated by our viewers. This is from Simon. So he's saying Global XUS 100 ETF, the N100. He says it appears to be comprised of the top 100 Nasdaq companies, similar to the BetaShares NDQ, but with only half the management fee. Would it be worth investing as an alternative to NDQ, or would you prefer... A more established, existing ETF with greater liquidity and history. Andrew, this one's been been built for you.
0: Thank you. No pressure, Nadine.
1: Um,
0: look, I, I I don't mind um, this one, albeit very new. Uh, when was kickoff? Kickoff was like the twenty yeah twenty first of August. So as Simon says, um, it's uh, it's pretty new out of the blocks. And even though there is a market maker there, so in other words, there is liquidity provided, one of my sort of little golden rules is i just like to leave it for a couple of months just to let it settle. Again, it's brand new, but there's only about $3 million funds under management, not to be um, unexpected. But as Simon says, really all that's going on here is it's NDQ-esque. It's just following a slightly different index to what NDQ from BetaShares offers the key difference being that NDQ's MER, the cost of running the fund is 48 basis points, whereas this one is in essence half price at 24 basis points. A couple of other minor differences I was just looking before, the tech exposure in MDQ is about 49%. So if you're mad on tech, you think the Magnificent Seven uh, or that sort of ilk are going to continue, you might want to focus more on NDQ, whereas um, in N100, the tech exposure is only about 33%. But on balance, uh, interesting ETF, my preference probably would be for NDQ at this stage, but let's revisit it in six months and see how things are going. So I think it's a hold.
1: Thank you. Uh, I know it's always a bit awkward for a stock picker to be talking about ETFs, but what do you think, uh, Nathan, about holding an ETF, particularly with international exposure, as opposed to just trying to pick you know, the winners when it comes to particularly the tech space in the U.S.
2: Yeah, look, we, we offer multiple model portfolios using ETFs. Uh, sorry. Um, and go, getting the global picture uh, using ETFs is much better way to do it uh, because it's very hard for local investors to do the analysis, to be upfront with every stock. Um, so playing an ETF, you're playing a thematic, you're playing a sector cycle, you're playing a market exposure. ETFs are really good in that kind of large scale uh, exposures. I think it gets a bit tricky when you go ETFs into very boutique small areas. So, I mean, I agree with uh, what Andrew said. I think you go with the guy with the liquidity in this cycle and and you can see the track record of what they've done. So I'm happy with NDQ for now. Uh, but, you know, I have to say, um, I'm actually shorting the US market. So there's my caveat. So I'm actually playing the opposite side of this trade at this point in the cycle. Um, I think the where the interest rates are where um US market dominated by tech, which is predominantly growth, is priced. I don't think it holds up. Um, so I'm actually playing the other side of the trade. But we do for our growth model portfolio, um ETF portfolio, we use NDQ, um, we use healthcare, uh, and so we do use a few different ETFs to get that exposure globally. So I don't I don't see any problem using it. I just think in where we are in the cycle, you need to be a bit more defensive.
1: Okay, thank you. Let's get to the next ETF that's on the list. And this is the BetaShares Investment Grade ETF picked by Matthew, who says... I'm unsure exactly how the pricing of bonds and this ETF works. He assumes a pause and then a fall in interest rates will lift the price of cred units. In the meantime, it will pay a regular safe distribution like a term deposit. But he's asking if it has the potential for capital gain upside when rates fall. Um, you know, which stands in contrast to just putting your money in some sort of a bond. So, is it this one? Andrew, is his thinking, his thesis correct? Is it this uh, bond exposure that you'd look to get or, or give us your verdict?
0: Uh, a fair bit to unpack in mm-hmm. that question, but uh, uh, probably the first thing I'd draw note is that this is the second time in 20 years that the cash rate 4.1% is higher than the dividend yield on the ASX. So let's just think about that for a moment. And we're here talking shares and the Osbys community love their shares. But if I'm a self-funded retiree and I can get a 4.1% return with no risk and it's going to be better than the return I'm going to get holding shares, which is at risk, be it upside or downside, why wouldn't I just do that? You know so that would that would be sort of my opening premise to the, to the question being asked because part of the question referenced term deposits and that 4.1 percent is just the cash rate you know you can get term deposits for 12 months now at over five percent so that would be you know in the past bonds certainly do form part of a diversified portfolio but given where cash rate is at the moment relative to um, the yield and equities arguably you could be reducing your bond exposure. I mean, very general statement, but you could actually be reducing your bond exposure and getting term deposits. So that would be sort of my my, my first bit. Relating to sort of the safety of bonds in general, um, you only need to look at last year and maybe Nathan's got better stats than I do, but from memory, bonds had their worst return in 72 years last year uh, in a rising interest rate environment, you know, because rising interest rates falling bond prices or rising bond yields, I should say, falling bond prices. So certainly there is no safety in owning bonds. You need to be very careful because they are linked to the economic outlook and you know how we started the conversation around that GDP number. As soon as that GDP number came out, share markets started to fall because arguably that higher reading on the GDP is more ammunition for the um, RBA to be potentially increasing rates. Our view is they'll increase at least once more this year maybe twice and if that's the case that will not be friendly for bond pricing and so regardless of what type of bond you're holding certainly cred or there's other ones out there at all as well and then finally nadine cred is actually holding investment grade bonds so it's not i mean they're investment grade so that's helpful you know they're they're certainly investable but Equally so, there are some names in here that are probably less desirable than others. So, you know, if you're trying to play it safe, because I think um, the viewer asked as to other ones to think about, you might want to think about like an actively managed solution that's sort of looking through all these interest rate gyrations at the moment. So XARO would be sort of that actively managed solution. Or if you're looking for something a little bit more defensive, but again, understanding that they're still moving around things that are like uh, full of government bonds, so IAF from iShares from would immediately come to mind. So there are a couple of others to think about, but it's really important that people just don't sort of equate these to term deposits, because they ain't.
1: Okay, so that is an uh, avoid, or what are we calling that?
0: It's a tough one because, you know, from memory, the yield's are around that 6 7%. So it's quite attractive. But what you, again, to Nathan's point, that if things are starting to come off the boil, then this is the debt of companies. And if, you know, companies are struggling to mm-hmm. pay. So it's, it's a hold. It's certainly not a sell. It's not a
2: buy either, though. It's a hold.
1: Thank you. All right, Nathan, anything to add on that one?
2: Yeah, I think Andrew hit the nail on the head when he said, you have to be careful when uh, you're getting bond bond yields, ten-year bond yields, greater than what the equity market dividend yield is, and that doesn't happen often. And so that means there are things happening that have unwinding quite aggressively. So um, you have to be very careful. There's a reason why they're offering higher yield because there's a higher risk. These are not uh, risk-free. Um, you can get a you know you can get a US ten-year bond yield at over four percent, and you're going to take on risk for that extra one percent, two percent. I think not so manage your risk we're in really tricky areas there's a lot of things unwinding so if you're looking for the safety aspect i mean there's a reason why money markets in the us are seeing massive inflows and their money is going out of banks into money markets because they can get relatively good returns with relatively low risk so if you're getting that kind of low risk return that you want then you should be looking at term deposits i mean yes you give up a few percent here or there but you're getting very low risk. Mm-hmm. These are not low risk. There are risk there because they have to give you a higher return uh, to attract your money. That yeah. means there is a risk there. So be careful.
1: Okay. All right. Let's get to the last ETF on the list. And this is the Vanguard X US All Shares Index. And this is for James. Andrew, again, I'll start with you. Why not?
0: Uh, This one's probably going to be much uh, quicker. Um, So in essence, as the name suggests, it's avoiding the US. So to Mathan's point, you know, being concerned about the US. If you're worried about the US, you're worried about tech. This is potentially one in which you can say, well, look, Australia's 2% of the world. I'd like to get exposure to the rest of the world. But gee, I think these tech valuations are a little bit nosebleedy, such a term. So this is uh, an ETF that you can use uh, $2.6 billion funds under management, the MER, that cost of running it, very sharp, eight basis points, very, very cheap. Uh, holds about 3,700 companies, 40% Europe, 27% the Pacific, 25% emerging markets, but probably more importantly, Nadine, 20% financials and only 12% tech versus the S&P 500, which is 28% tech. So bottom line, if you're worried about the US, you're worried about tech, but you want that overseas exposure because you think Australia might be going sideways, banks under pressure, China under pressure, therefore resources are under pressure, CSL under pressure, lots of pressure, uh, then potentially this is a way you can get that um, overseas exposure, but without actually get the additional valuation risk of tech. So in our model portfolios, we have this as part of it. Um, so I guess I have to say buy on that basis.
1: Thank you. What do you think, Nathan? Gain exposure, XUS via an ETF, take some of the work out of it?
2: Yeah, look, I don't think it's cheap. I don't think it's expensive. I think it's relatively okay. Um, Andrew is right again. Um, I think it's you know I see the risk much higher in the US, obviously because it's a growth-oriented market. Um, and then you flip the uh, the other side and say emerging markets—they look ugly, um, and they've been beaten enough for it. Um, I'm actually a big fan of emerging markets. We're well, not right now, but I think there's a time coming for it. So this is actually an interesting way to play that market because you're getting the mix of a few developed markets and emerging markets, and US is probably the highest risk category at the moment, so you're X that. So in that context, you're getting the exposure to the potential recovery in the emerging markets with a bit of protection from other developed markets. So I think it's okay. I think it's, you know, if you're playing the whole long term global play, this is probably a lower risk play. And at some point, if we do get the pullback and US becomes normalized again, then you can probably downweight this and add a global play, including the U.S. So it gives you that option to play.
1: I'm feeling a buy here. I'm feeling a double buy coming on.
2: Yeah, I think so.
1: Okay, writing that one down, that will be discussed at the investment committee meeting by the end of the month. So, you know, we'll see what changes in the global landscape between now and then, because. Obviously, a lot (laughs) right now is possible. All right. Silver Lake Resources is the first sort of stock specific that's on the list today. Thanks to Ryan. Ryan, everyone listening, watching, this is not financial advice. Just keep that in mind. This is information only. Use it to go on and do your own research or get advice. Andrew, I will start with you just because I'm in a little bit of a groove here and so are you. Silver Lake Resources. So, what can we say? Macquarie has not outperformed on the company. We've got Ordmanette with a buy. It had a softer than expected earnings in FY23, but stronger than expected free cash flow. It also reiterated its sales guidance going forward. Um, you know, costs is always an issue when it comes to these miners. What do you make of Silver Lake Resources in terms of exposure and uh, its operations?
0: Yeah, so gold and copper uh, is sort of of its wheelhouse and it's going to be a common theme, not only as we spoke about right at the beginning of the show relating to reporting season, but a number of the companies that we're covering today, significant cost pressures. From memory, they had about a 24% increase in costs. So even though they might be achieving a higher price relating to the gold that they're selling, it's not increasing at the same level that their costs are increasing. So therefore there's a bit of margin pressure. They also had that acquisition in Canada, the sugar zone um, acquisition, and then obviously those terrible wildfires that went through Canada, and that's uh, gonna be impacting production uh, as I understand it, there was some significant damage to the electricity generation in that area as well. So I note the consensus valuation is down about 10% over the last three months, again reflecting some of these issues that we just covered off. Covered off on, you're actually being asked to pay a PE of 19 times, which is pretty fully priced albeit the market is expecting around 50 percent earnings growth next year but just looking at that chart that chart looks pretty ordinary i know shorting interest is starting to increase a little bit as well so I, i can think of lots of reasons not to be there it's not a sell but it ain't a buy so guess what Oh,
1: it's a hold. Okay, so that is Silver Lake Resources. Uh, Copper gold, we had the wrong name up there very shortly. Uh, So, Nathan, what do you make of Silver Lake Resources? Is there, I I mean, is there still a need to have exposure to gold primarily in your portfolio? How would you choose to do so if so?
2: Yeah, look, we we like gold. Um, You want to be in gold when central banks get it wrong. And boy, they are stuck. Um, now you can see where the energy prices and food prices are going. Uh, we're already seeing um, recovery in inflation in number of parts of the world. I think that cycle will play out over the next couple of quarters. Um, and so, have the central banks got enough firepower to go and fight it again? No, I don't think so. Um, I think you can see everyone is on hold because the economy is slowing down. So I don't look logically. They should have probably gone harder. Earlier to control it, and they didn't. And it's now they're stuck in a slowing economy, and political pressure is too much. So I suspect central banks won't go too hard. (laughs) Sorry. So in that cycle, you're probably going to see um, inflation rising, interest rates basically being held. So real rates are potentially going to come down, which is positive for gold. So I suspect gold will go higher. Aussie dollar is literally free falling. We've got 63 cents again, and I suspect we're going lower. So, in that context, Aussie dollar spot gold is going higher. So, most of the Aussie gold miners continue to do quite well. Now, the trick here is, of course, Silver Lakes run into a few issues. Um, All gold miners have been hit by higher cost. It's interesting, other miners are getting hit by higher cost as well, but the gold miners have been punished a lot more than the rest. Um, I actually don't mind the valuation, it looks expensive, but what I like about it is the fact that after a belting, they, the analysts still have a, a high valuation on these stocks, which means they have very low expectations. So the upside is much more in the gold sector, where most of the other sectors, because the stocks haven't come back, analysts have a bias to not downgrade them. So they're relatively well uh, valued. That's because there's, there hasn't been any downgrades put through. So I think the cost pressures, the interest rate pressures will hit other miners just as much and the risk is they come down. So Silver Lake had an M&A issue, had the, obviously the, what's happening in Canada has hit them, um, and of, of course the cost pressures. So I actually don't mind, but I think if you're going to pick in the gold sector, for me the top two are Northern Star and Gold Road. Um, they're the best performers, and they're probably the quality players. But I don't mind Silver Lake. If you're there, I'm holding. I think it's a buy. Um, I think it's an ugly stock at the moment and the whole sector looks relatively ugly so i don't mind so i'm a buyer
1: so you're a buyer thank you now is there anything that we need to add the next company on the list is remelius it is also a gold uh goldie and so you know again we've got macquarie with an outperform two buys from ordmanette sean partners as well what is remelius doing um that would make it attractive or not attractive, less attractive. I mean it's got some development plans for a project. Um, uh, you know, it's, it's all the same issues I suppose that are facing any gold miners, Andrew?
0: Yeah, probably the key difference here is they're actually using their script, their shares to try and take over Musgrave minerals. So when I see things like that occurring, what that says to me is they believe, and again, just my cynical view, hard to believe, I know, is that they believe their shares are fully, if not overpriced, because they're using their, um, using their shares to, in essence, buy or try and buy Musgrave. Um, whereas if obviously if they thought their shares were cheap, they wouldn't do that. You know, they'd either use cash or they would uh, take some borrowing. So when I see things like that, that says to me that potentially the shares are a little expensive. And certainly if you look at the, where the shares have traded over you know the last 12, 18 months, I mean what they get down to in the fifties, where are we at the moment? Dollar thirty. I mean they've obviously been much higher as well. Uh, they also have issues relating to production costs as well. Probably the other thing, though, Nadine, is that they're about to be added to the ASX S&P 200 uh, from an index weighting point of view. So I've seen, i always find a way to bring an ETF into this. So all of the uh, passive index funds are going to have to get in there and buy um, So this, so that will also support the share price as well. So, look, on balance, I think it's a hold again, uh, potentially, though, post uh, that re-weighting uh, or being added to the index rather you might see the share price come under a little bit of pressure but it's it's not it's, it's a hold it's not an overwhelming buy it's not terrible it's a hold
1: all right there you go uh, um Ramelius resources you've already said that you prefer northern star and gold road in the space uh, what's attractive not attractive about Romelius to you mm-hmm.
2: Nathan? oh look i, I think uh again andrew's right in the context that the index play will keep them um i think that whenever they do these kind of things, the timing is all, uh, imp- you know, it's important and they will hold up relatively well. Um, I think it's okay. Um, I don't see any huge bombs, um, but I think it, it's not probably the doesn't, it's not giving you a massive valuation that an ugly duckling gives you on the turnaround. Yeah. Um, neither is it one of the best that I want to chase someone like a Northern Star or a Gold Road. So um, I think it's okay. I think, you know, the thematic hold for me, it's a hold. I don't see the the catalyst for me to push me to buy it, Uh, but I I don't see a huge issue either.
1: Okay, there you go. Thanks, guys. We have made it nicely to the halfway mark of the program. And Nick, Rumilius resources was for you. Thanks so much to everybody who takes the time to email in or to go to the site and submit their questions for our illustrious team of expert guests. All right, let's just sum up what we've learned so far. Aurora, stock of the day. It is a hold for both of my guests. Big move overseas. Nathan says he understands it, uh, but it's uh, in a downgrade cycle. Cost of borrowing is high. And um, because it's got a lack of growth here, it's going global. There are risks associated with it. In packaging, he's looking at Amcor. And again, a few amber lights coming through here for Andrew as well. Private equity selling uh, for a reason. And we've also got, you know, an Aussie company moving in overseas. He's saying just wait for it to settle a little bit. Wait for three to six months of integration before you potentially take another look at this company. All right. The Global X US 100 ETF. Again, it's new. Andrew says, just let it settle. Uh, but he doesn't mind it. It's just very new. Um, Look, Nathan's actually shorting the U.S. market. He says it's a hold at best. Uh, The next ETF on the list, investment grade cred, both say, do not assume that this is risk free. It's not. It's actually very risky. So you have to be very careful, uh, according to Nathan, so this is not a buy for him. And uh, the investment grade, uh, I guess, exposure or bond exposure that Andrew would uh, prefer is something actively managed, XARO, if that's what you would like, defensive, IAF, because it's Govy Bonds. Keep in mind, investment grade, it's still company balance sheets. And if the going gets tough, you know, there there is the risk of uh, that uh, risk rising, Going forward, it's not it's not like an, uh, you know, an, a you know an you know a term deposit or anything along those lines. Okay, Vanguard XUS All Shares Index. This is a double buy from both of my guests. It's a way to get exposure to global markets. Um, Nathan doesn't mind this EM theme that will come to the fore. It's not cheap, but it's okay. And again, we've got this, or Andrew has this in the model portfolio, so it's a buy for him as well. First double buy of the program. Silver Lake Resources, a hold at best for both of my guests. Uh, Lots of headwinds, you know, we've got costs, we've got what's happening in Canada with wildfires. Uh, Preferred exposure for Nathan, he does like gold, is Northern Star Resources and Gold Road. And Remelius Resources, hold again for both of my guests. Okay, so we put the investment committee, the new investment committee up online live yesterday. So go to osbiz.com.au to have a look. So here's what the changes were. Um, Paradigm Pharma was out giving way to Challenger, which also got a bit more money put into it, about 1% uh, exposure increased. from, I should say, you know, Challenger was put in and we trimmed Altium and Paladin and put that into Challenger. So, Challenger now in the portfolio, Altium, Paladin trimmed, Paradigm Pharma is out. Now, the fund is up by 11.3% since its inception. So, take a look at the latest investment committee that's online. And of course, this double buy, as mentioned, will go to the investment committee. That's how it works. In the next uh, twenty minutes or so, this is what we'll get across: Reki, R E H Spark New Zealand, S P Z Coles Aristocrat Leisure, and Service Stream S S M is the ticker code there. Okay, Reki. It's been picked by Brittany. Tiny news out from the company today. It's applied for a trademark, I think, in Vietnam. This is a company that is looking to, uh, yeah, sell product that essentially helps. Um, discourage uh, resistance to antibiotics. I think that's a very easy way to describe what's a, what the business that they're in. Nathan, I'll start with you on this one, just to be different. Recky.
2: Yeah, look, it's done really well. Uh, I think um, it's, it's one of those areas that uh, I, I find right now is probably not the area that the market is looking at um, because of what is happening in the inflation cycle. So when you're looking at, um, I guess, the the higher risk, higher return um, area, the miners are getting the interest. The healthcare biotech space is not getting that um, interest as it used to. Um, so I think that's probably going to um, weigh on the stock. But I think it was all right. I think there was a, a, a decent result, but it's had a good run. So um, I don't think um, you're jumping into something that the market doesn't know. Um, and there's no real shock in the result either. So I think it's had a decent recovery and I think it hauls for me. I think it's okay. I don't see a catalyst short term that's going to suddenly boost it. Um, and everyone, if you're looking at 2021, um, I guess, performances in most stocks, don't look at that.
1: Okay. So, Nathan, you've been too it's, polite it's to interrupt me or to make me to point out my mistake. We're actually talking about Reese. I thought it was pharmacy. Uh, okay, so
2: we Pharmacy, judging yeah, by that's my notes. Yeah,
1: okay, thinking, so you've done well.
2: I was to jump across, sorry. Let's,
1: let's, uh, uh, let's rewind. Let's go back and talk about Reese, which of course is plumbing and, uh, and nice. also bathroom fittings and fit-outs, et cetera, et cetera. So, Nathan, I'll allow you to press play yeah. again.
2: Not a problem. Um, yeah, that's what I was uh, actually prepared for. <laughs> my
1: bad, uh, you're so polite, I love it. Go ahead.
2: Uh, <laughs> Oh, look, uh, in that sector, I mean, you're looking at the housing sector, and I'll, I'll say, um, you know, the first thing to, um, I suppose, look at is the housing construction index in the U.S. is trading at near all-time high. Uh, it's trading higher than what it was pre, uh, I guess, the post-pandemic poll. Um, so the optimism in that sector is massive, and a lot of the construction-related uh, businesses have actually had a, a decent bounce back. I mean, James Hardy is the best of the best. I mean, they make make a lot of profit in a recession. So uh, they had a good result, uh, they've had a good run. Pretty much every stock in the US construction cycle has had a a good run. Um, I don't see that being sustained. Um, I think it's going to be tough. The construction outlook is going to get tougher, Uh, costs are high, Uh, interest rates are high. I don't see them coming off anytime soon. So that's going to be a tough place. um, I am actually relatively negative on that sector, and Reese is one of them. Um, it's had a pretty decent recovery cycle on the back of that. So, um, you know, that's a thematic that's played out on the sector. We haven't been in that sector simply because we just don't um, see that uh, thematic being maintained, and the market is paying way too much uh, for a cycle that is classic cyclical. So, um, I think you've got to be very careful here. Things to be sustained. There's got to be a lot of things that has to work out, and the macro does not seem like it's going to back that.
1: Okay, so you're going to sell?
2: Yeah, for me, it's a sell. Thanks.
1: What do you think, Andrew?
0: Oh, 31 times earnings for a cyclical business where management have explicitly said things are going to quieten off in 2024 uh, is aspirational, if I can put it so delicately. (laughs) I know consensus is around 15 bucks, and we're trading at 20. So uh, I'm gonna stick a rare Andrew sell on it as well.
1: Ooh, double sell. Well, it's not in the portfolio, so we don't have to worry about that. But yeah, take that for what it's worth. Do your own research, of course, but that's, um, yeah, we don't get a lot of double sells. All right, Spark New Zealand is the next on the list. That has, this has been picked by Brian and there's no uh, mistaking this one for another company. Let me, um, redeem myself. And uh, we saw Spark report, obviously, uh, toward the lower end of the guidance. I do believe uh, the second half, though, was being solid. So looking for mobile growth. This is an operator in New Zealand. Um, what do you think of uh, Spark New Zealand? Is it a bit defensive? And is that what you like in this environment, Nathan?
2: Look, I actually like the sector, uh, but it's, it's, a, it's been a disaster side. Uh, it's, despite the defensive nature of it, most stocks have actually underperformed. The index looks okay because the the biggest behemoth like Telstra is actually done quite well, and it's even that has come off. I mean, everyone got positive and everyone had a four fifty target price, and that's come off. Spark's actually not bad, but they've all got the same um, problem. They're all trying to grab market share. Um, I'm a huge fan of anything New Zealand, and Spark is one of those ones where you know it's getting back to that interesting level where I'm paying attention to it, but I don't think it's cheap. I am um, looking at the telco sector. There are a number of turnarounds in that sector. We've been long Telstra and we're still long Telstra. Um, I think that's okay. Um, I'm keeping an eye on TPG uh, with what's happening with M&A, with Bocas, what that may happen for the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and Spark is one that I've, i you know, I've keep an eye on Spark and Chorus out of New Zealand. Um, they're not cheap. So I'm not jumping in there for the defensive nature. Um, if you wanted to look at a stock in that sector, um, I'm looking at Aussie broadband, ABB. I think that's probably one of the ones that have started to turn around. But the sector is interesting, but there aren't too many winners in that sector, so it's mm. tough. Uh, so you have to be very selective. And because it's defensive, you do not go into any defensives in a downgrade cycle because that's like you know shooting yourself on the foot. And this isn't a downgrade cycle, no.
1: One of Nathan's rules of investing, don't buy into a downgrade cycle. Andrew, what about Spark New Zealand? Like, are you just, there's no need to be there because there's other options if you're looking for defensive exposure in the telco sector?
0: All oh, right, it's just a bit <laughs> snoozy. Um, you, you're uh, not 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 the, not my guest or the the host, of course, <laughs> but the company that we're talking about. It's uh, super snoozy. It's twenty one times earnings for a defensive with a, a forecast earnings growth of one point nine percent um it's really hard to get enthused about this one Uh, one of the areas of potential growth is cloud security and you know if we're playing that game i know an etf why wouldn't you think about hack Uh, uh, PE multiple markedly different just to be very clear we're not comparing like for like in that regard But, you know, I just think for an underlying defensive business at 21 times, it's too much. So it's certainly a hold at best.
1: Okay, thanks. Let's get on to the next company that is on our list, and that is Kohl's. This is for Stephanie. C-O-L is the ticker code if you didn't know. Are you a Woolies man, Nathan, in your day-to-day life? Are you a Kohl's person or do you try to hit the independents?
2: Oh uh, look! I, I've been waiting to use the line down, down, and and calls. Um, yeah, it's it's a defensive, but people forget that it's not as defensive as well because staples still need consumer spending, and we're beginning to see uh, the basket size reducing. I mean, I I'm a sucker who, when I turn up to supermarkets, I watch what everyone is buying and how they um, you know, the trend of people turning up early. how how many items people are buying. And I've seen that, uh, you know, reduce over the last six to 12 months. And I don't think that's going to slow down anytime soon. Calls is probably second. I think Woolies is the best, Um, has been for a while. Uh, We've been in Woolies. Before the reporting season, we actually got out of Woolies because every man and his dog is in the staples, So it's a crowded trade and it's hard to um, hold on to expectations that were relatively quite solid. And when you compare it to retail stocks where retail expectations were relatively low. Um, So in that context, I think risk was high and it's had a pullback. Um, Again, it's a defensive on a downgrade. Um, It's a no. Uh, But if you had to pick a winner here, I think Woolies is still going to perform better. But I think it's tough for Staples here. I think they can hold the margins um, because they can pass on the cost. But as consumers get further and further under pressure, they're going to buy less and less. So it's a really, I guess we're in that tough part of the cycle where the ability to hold margins will weigh on their consumers to spend. So it's going to get tricky in the next 12 months.
1: Too tricky for you to be buying into coals, Andrew? Would you be holding it if you already have it?
2: It's
0: certainly not a buy, Nadine. I'm a Woolies man uh, from a shopping point of view, as I do the speed waddle home uh, past my local Woolies. So uh, that's my conflict of interest dealt with. But uh, if you look at uh, the most recent profit reporting, um, you saw a substantial increase in Woolies margin relative to Coles. So their margins are now around 27 2.8% for the pair of them pre-Aldi. Uh, it was around 4% margin, so they had world best margins. So you've got, you know, pretty fierce competition and you mentioned the independence before as well. So, it, but back to Coles, you're being asked to pay 19 times earnings post the downgrade, relative to the market, which is also trading at 19 times. And to Nathan's point before, you're seeing both Woolies and Coles talk about slippage, which is a code for theft. You know, you're seeing substantial increase in theft because the consumers, understandably, are under pressure not understandably that they're nicking stuff but understandably that they're under pressure so yeah, certainly not one that I would want to be in, uh, as in I don't want to buy it, but if you're already there, well, you've already suffered the downgrade so you may as well just hang in there. So it is
1: a hold. Yeah, maybe they'd have less theft but- also if they would employ more checkout people, because I am convinced there's a lot of yeah. slippage going through those self-serve…
2: Oh, I completely yeah. agree. If, you, if you're going to expect me to self-serve, you know you have to expect that a lot of people are going to have slippage. Yeah, It, it comes with the territory.
1: I always think, you know, if I wanted a job… Uh, checking people out. That's not just at the grocery stores anywhere. I would have applied for one. Anyway, that's just me. Old fashioned, showing my age, but there you go. Uh, Let's get to the next on the list, which is aristocrat leisure. Uh, Aristocrat. Uh, I've sort of lost track actually as to what earnings per share is. Is it worth the price now, Andrew? I like it okay. to channel
0: my inner Kath and Kim. I like it. Um, it's a, a PE of uh, 21. Earnings uh, EPS growth only 19%. So On theory, it should fail that test. But I do like the defensive nature of the business. Um, you've got some ESG concerns, you know, that whole ethical social governance piece and from a gaming point of view, and it certainly is a really important thing to think about. But um, digital is now a substantial part of their business. And as more jurisdictions allow online gaming, that's certainly going to be a benefit for them. As you know, one of my um, lights, uh, Nadine, is our return on equity. It's got a 21% ROE. Um, so consensus is 44 bucks versus 41 I think it is at the moment. So uh, I quite like uh, Aristocrat. It is a buy.
1: We've got a buy. Nathan, would you be buying Aristocrat?
2: No pressure, Nathan, oh, no pressure. Yeah, No, I can't. Look, it's a great business model. Um, It's a great business model. It's a top um, growth stock. Uh, Management has evolved the model. It's a more revenue, um, I guess, um, stream-oriented business rather than a point-of-sale type business as it used to be before. It's much more diversified, um, high-quality business. Um, Yeah, there's ESG, um, the issues, uh, but you know, it's it's a it's a stock that you can gamble on. Part of the pun, uh, but there is everything is you know risk return. You're paying too much here. Um, you got to look at what it is. Um, and we we were there. We got it out. It's gone higher. Um, am I annoyed by it? Yes, but it is what it is. You got to play. We we play the risk weight of returns. Um, Aristocrat is good, but is it that good? Um, can it go against the, what's happening in the economic cycle? I doubt it. Um, the, the sad part is, as human beings, we gamble more when it's tougher. Go figure. Um, so, in context, it should be relatively defensive, but I think it'll get hit just like any other growth stock. Um, but unfortunately, we are not—you know—we have a different dynamic at the moment, where weak economy means lower bond yields, which means higher prices for growth stocks. Go figure. I don't know how long that plays out, but I don't see that being sustained. So, I'm not an aristocrat. Um, and But I want to be in it, but I want to get it at a lower price, so I'm not jumping in. But if you're there, uh, you can hold it for the long term. Look, it's a high-quality business.
1: Got it. Thank you. Hold. All right, guys. Uh, we are, believe it or not, on the lucky last stock, and this is for Michelle, who's picked Service Stream, SSM. Uh, we had City upgrade it. Uh, it's got an upgrade rating on it. We've got a buy on from Ordmanet and a neutral from Macquarie. Uh, What do you make a service stream? So it's sort of um, services, (laughs) there you go, Um, you know, the telco, the utilities industry. I mean, is this a defensive play, Andrew?
0: Uh, Yes, sorry. (laughs) I'm just another one of these sort of underwhelming ones. The PE is actually okay this time. It's 12 times. So, you know, I guess if I'm trying to be positive, that would be one thing. But, uh, and 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 Nathan, I'm enjoying your company today, of course, but I'm missing my usual sparring partner, Henry, because he would just be having an absolute field day with some of the commentary that's in their most recent ASX announcement, you know, where they talk about improving financial performance, strengthening the balance sheet, and my personal refreshing group strategy you know nothing nothing sort of inspires more confidence when you see things like that you know it's sort of a a really positive type of company that you want to be investing in so what have they actually been doing previously if this is now what they're doing you know have they finally had the epiphany the light bulb moment that this is what they should be doing with their business so yeah i I can think of lots of reasons not to be there like a lot of these other businesses inflation is a big issue for them as well they've recently just integrated the services business. So again, that's another amber light. Whenever you see businesses being integrated together, you've got integration risk, cultural risk, all that sort of stuff. So yeah, consensus is a dollar three versus $0.90. Cents. I think that's being fairly generous. So yeah, it's a hold at best.
1: Okay. Um, so holding, I mean, Nathan, when I was looking at that chart, like, would you, if, if you got in at a lower level, Nathan, would you look to maybe even sell to to capture some of that growth?
2: Look, we actually jumped in at around the low 60s. Um, it was so ugly, you had to look at it. This used to be a market, darling. Every small cap fund manager had this stock. They used to basically make most of their money on NBN uh, contracts. And this used to absolutely run. Everyone held it. And then once the, it, the, the most obvious thing as the NBN contracts ran out, the model flagged, they bought utilities business, they were trying to, uh, re, I suppose, rebase themselves into the new service stream, and the market didn't like it because they were uh, buying the high returns that were coming through before, and it went da- down south. And everyone threw it out and it became from market darling to the, you know, no one cares mod. Um, so that's what interested me. They bought the worst part of Lend Lease, which Lend Lease couldn't manage, and they're actually doing okay with it. Um, they, were doing an, they were in an upgrade cycle before they bought into it, uh, the Lend Lease piece, and the market didn't care. I love those opportunities. When the market does not care about an upgrade um, to a former market darling, um, and we like a few of these service sector stocks, and Service Stream is one of them. It's run up to 90 cents. Most brokers did not even pay attention um, and the stock was 80 cents, and they were all sitting at 50, 60 cents, and they suddenly had to upgrade. Um, I suspect there'll be more upgrades to come. And they are winning more contracts. Um, they're doing better. And most of these services companies, the historical contracts are absolute crap. Um, the looking contracts, the new ones, have much better margins, much better outlook. So you have to take the risk because the old ones will still be pretty crap. Um, the newer ones will improve margins. So. In that context, we're going through that cycle. We do like a number of services companies, and uh, they're not high quality businesses. But they are businesses that are giving you pretty good returns, and they're in good uh, multiples, and the market doesn't want to pay for them yet. So I think there is more to the, the ugly ducklings, and Service Stream is one of them. So I think it's a turnaround story. Keep an eye on it, Andrew. I think this is one of those ones when it gets to about $1.50. Everyone will be saying, this is a market, darling. But nobody says it at a dollar.
1: So it's still a buy? It's a buy. Okay, you guys finally disagree on something. Great. Thank you. All right. Um, let me just review what we have learned in this half of the program. So, Reese, I'm so embarrassed about that. But anyways, I know it well. It is a sell for both of my guests. It's in the wrong sector at the wrong time, wrong part of the cycle. Um, yeah, it's just uh, yeah, rare double sell on the program. Spark New Zealand, no enthusiasm for this one coming from Andrew. It's a hold at best for Nathan, but he likes Telstra. He's long Telstra and also keeping an eye on TPG. Uh, but really it's ABB in the sector that he likes the best. Okay. Coles, it's a hold for both of my guests. Woolworths is better in Nathan's eyes. Also, margins, Andrew points out at it, Woolworths are better. Uh, slippage is an issue there as well. So don't be just blinded by the fact that this is a defensive company. Nathan says even defensive companies, uh, you know, basket shrink in tougher times. Sadly, Aristocrat Leisure, we've got a buy coming from Andrew. Okay, they disagreed a couple times. A hold coming from Nathan. He likes a the business. They don't disagree on that. It's just that Nathan's not willing to pay up at this price. And then you heard Service Stream. So it's a buy from Nathan and it is a hold. Uh, Andrew, I didn't realize you were a guy who was looking for so much excitement in your stocks, but he was unenthused, let's say, by a few on the list today. All right, guys, uh, Nathan Samadaram from Deep Data Analytics and Andrew Whiteland from DP Wealth Advisory. Guys, thanks. Always good to catch up. Really good to get your insights and uh, we'll do it all again soon.
0: day great having you back, thanks. Nathan. Thank you.
1: Have a good afternoon. You, all right, guys, uh, for all of you watching out there, again, a huge thank you for those of you to take the time to submit picks for us to go over. Please, if you'd like to go to ausbiz.co, should be on the bottom of your screen there forward slash call picks, or you can always tweet to us at TV. We keep a very close eye on our Twitter feed. Uh, stick around. We will take you through all the market moves after this very short break.
2: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's.